Hello, I'm Martijn Graat and this is Does Logistics Matter, a podcast on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics. Answering yes to the question today is Byron Bennett, CEO of Zergratran. In this episode, we talk about his plans to create a green shipping corridor through Colombia parallel to the Panama Canal, how high-speed maglev-powered skids will autonomously move containers through the 80-mile tunnel, and how two fully automated ports on each side of the tunnel will create the biggest cross-dock operation the world has ever seen, enabling the transfer of a container from a ship on one side to a ship on the other side within 30 minutes. Hi, Byron. Welcome to the show. Hey, Martin. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Byron, the first question on this podcast is always, does logistics matter? (laughs) All you have to do is go to the grocery store to see that uh, between the increased prices and uh, the things that are missing. uh, The answer becomes very obvious. Yeah, the answer is yes. (laughs) <laughs> um, what, what, is, what is your uh, link to uh, logistics? How, how did you end up uh, uh, working in the, in the logistics industry? Oh, that's a story in and of itself, because I do not have a background in logistics and supply chain. Um, I ended up in this space uh, because of this specific pr- uh, project. Um, saw an opportunity, a need. And decided to uh, jump right in. And four years later, we're still uh, pulling it together and probably have another eight to ten to go. Well, uh, you said this project. Uh, well, we talked before the show. So obviously, <laughs> I know I know about the project. But the listeners have no idea what this project is. Maybe, maybe you can tell them something about it. Yeah. Um, the short is that we're trying to build an alternative uh, to the Panama Canal, uh, more of a supplement to the canal. Uh, right now, you have uh, uh, some primary marine trade choke points around the world, and the largest being at the Panama Canal. 90% of our goods go by sea, and yeah. most of that between the North Atlantic and North Pacific. Um, 5% used to cross uh between the two oceans using the Panama Canal. Now that's down to 3%. No fault of the canal at all. And the canal has been expanding to uh, accommodate larger ships. Um, However, uh, global trade volume just keeps going up, 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 up. So the percentage that it can handle is going down because the lock system it uses a lot of water and a lot of energy. So only yeah. about 50 ships can cross per day. Now, there's always a two to 12 day wait to cross. Um, and for the container ships, it's more like the 10 to 12 day wait to cross. So if more ships could cross there, 10 times more would if they could. Because oh, wow. If you can't cross there, you have to go the longer ways around. The next option is always uh, going through the Suez Canal. Mm -hmm. But after that, then you have all the longer ways around. When you think about it, the Panama Canal was built to cut off about 8,000 miles of the trip between um, Europe and Asia. And 
every so everything that can't cross at the canal has to go longer ways around and that's just a lot more fuel pollution spoilage loss oh yeah for sea, sure uh etc yeah that that uh, so so if if you cut off uh, 8000 miles that's a that's a that's a, a huge benefit in terms of um uh, savings on on uh, on on carbon footprint oh absolutely and um so um uh, y- you are going to uh, create uh, an well an alternative or uh, an, a substitute route uh, for the for the for the Panama Canal. Where are you going to do that? Now we're going to do it across northern Colombia, and let me explain a little bit. Uh, there are hundreds of different types of ships uh, that yeah. use uh, the canal. We're specifically talking about container ships and transferring containers across. So yeah. across northern Colombia, we're going to connect uh, ports on the Atlantic side and on the Pacific side uh, with an underground tunnel um, that takes the containers from one side to the other. So instead of the ships going across the canal, the ones that want to can drop off on our Pacific side, for example, mm-hmm. um, we send the containers across uh, using a maglev system and we reload that ship with goods from South America so it can go back to Asia uh, with full loads. Currently, 60% of the ships that go back to Asia go back empty. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and um, and also... I guess with uh, your solution, there's no longer a limit to the number of containers that can be on a ship. Um, I think the the current limit for um, yeah, you call them the the, the Panamax vessel, the vessels that are uh, just you know just large enough to fit through the canal. I think the the maximum capacity is somewhere around thirteen, fourteen thousand uh, uh, TEU. Yes, Martin. It used to be the case that ships above 13,000 TEUs couldn't cross the canal. Uh, With the expansion, uh, they were recently able to pass a 16,000 TEU ship across the canal. But that is an exception, uh, and that won't be the norm just because of the effort that it took to make that happen and the amount of water and the amount of electricity that it takes to move these ships across the canal. Um, Everything else above 16,000 already immediately has to go longer ways around, uh, primarily through the Suez. So our value proposition is adding another route across Central America that will supplement uh, an alternative to the Panama Canal for moving containers across and just containers. Every other type of ship will still go through the yeah. uh, canal. But our idea is pretty much we liken it to adding a highway uh, in Los Angeles. It's so congested in Los Angeles mm-hmm. that if you build a new highway, it's going to be used. And the way global trade works is traffic trade is sent the easiest and the most efficient and the most cost effective yeah. ways. So the ships that are not going through the Panama Canal and taking longer ways around, if they could go through the canal, 
they would, they would because it would be cheaper and more efficient. So we want to provide another option uh, for moving containers across so that we can increase the percentage of trade that goes directly between the North Atlantic and North Pacific and get goods to where they need to be faster. Yeah. So if you're talking about cutting off uh, a couple weeks uh, on the delivery of a container of food uh, from China uh, to Europe, then it matters. It's very significant. Yeah, and and with the uh, with the increased focus on on sustainability and uh, uh, you know uh, 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 an increasing number of countries passing uh, uh, legislation on 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 carbon footprints, uh, that's going to uh, play a major role moving forward as well. Because if you cut off all those all those uh, uh, miles with with steaming these these diesel engines steaming across the ocean, that's gonna it's going to save uh, that's going to save a lot as well. Uh, absolutely. Because right now you have a situation where most of the ships that return to Asia uh, return empty, yes. 60%. Yeah. So if they don't have to make that second part uh, of the trip uh, from where we are to the um, uh, New York, New Jersey uh, port or to Europe, yeah. then that cuts off a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of pollution. But we're also addressing uh, some of the wait time uh, and the idling time uh, that causes a lot of uh, pollution off of each of the ports. The so more we can reduce that, the better um, the environmental impact will be. So, 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 Byron, can, can you um, uh, so can you uh, explain uh, how the system works? And um, let's just uh, take an example. So, we're going to fill up a container ship with twenty thousand containers. Uh, we're going to do that in uh, Shanghai, in China. Uh, it's going to be filled with uh, all the stuff that uh, that they make for us there. Um, we're gonna we're, we're gonna need to go to New York. We're gonna need to go to some destinations in South America, and and we have to drop off uh, a couple of thousand of containers in in Rotterdam, obviously as well. Um, we're not gonna fit through the through the the Panama Canal because we're a twenty thousand container ship, um, and we don't want to go uh, all the way around. So so we're gonna we're gonna use the Zergatran. Um, Alternative. So, can you can you explain um, how how that could work um, when when your solution has been fully implemented? Yes, absolutely. Um, first of all, the structure of the facility. Now, we're going to have two fully automated ports: one on the Atlantic side and one on the Pacific side, mm -hmm. and connect them underground. Uh, by a tunnel around 20 meters below ground. So that's the basic structure. Yeah. However, um, one of the largest challenges of this project is what to do with the 15 million plus tons of excavations that we're going to take out. Yeah. But it turns out that that is an opportunity for us in our case. When London finished the Crossrails project, they had to yeah. ship a lot of the excavations west. Well, what we're going to do with a lot of them is we're going to build two purpose uh, built islands uh, to accommodate our port facility. So on each coast, uh, we're going to build a five mile island with a center canal 
that the ships will come into mm-hmm. and dock uh, in the berths at angles, uh, like parking spots. Yes. And essentially, each of our facility will be able to accommodate up to 100 of these 20,000 TEU uh, container ships. That's, so That's huge. Massive. We're talking about... Uh, about the same capacity of uh, the port of uh, Singapore uh, or Los Angeles, uh, uh, Long Beach. So basically, that 20,000 TU ship would come in on our Pacific side uh, berth. And then our system, right now, this ship would take about two weeks to turn over. Yeah. but we wanted to do it a lot faster than that and have a much more efficient system. So what we've come up with is we're essentially bringing these ships into a warehouse or a production style facility. So in our facility, you won't have uh, cranes and trucks next to these ships. What we've done to try and take a couple uh, pieces out of the cycle time mm-hmm. is put all of our cranes above the ships. So right now, only about six or so of these large cranes can fit uh, next to each That's, ships. Yeah. But what we're doing is untethering the cranes and putting a crane above every single container on that ship. So... Um, we're going to be able to clear almost a row at a time. So this is going to allow us to turn over the ship much faster by putting hundreds of cranes ah, on the solution. And these cranes can, can, can move, um, um, yeah, I'm not sure, uh, I would say vertically and horizontally and laterally. So across the, the, all, the, all the different axes Correct. Uh, to independently pick up containers and, and take them Correct. off the ships. Correct. Uh, these cranes will pick them up, bring them to the side of the ship, uh, deposit them onto a sled that will take them through the security station and through the tunnel to the other side, where the process is reversed. And, so, and, and this is not this is these these sleds are not moving on snow. I'm pretty sure of that because it's <laughs> Colombia. So you and and, and I, usually you, they don't hear the hear the word sled and container. So so how how are these sleds going to move? Yes, um, they're going to move on maglev tracks, um, taking a page from on dock rail. Uh, our tracks are going to come right up next to each ship uh, yeah. so that the uh, uh, the cranes can just deposit the container onto uh, the sled, then it moves off. The next one comes right back in to position. So there's always this continuous production line set up both above the ship and beside it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the unique things about using maglev to do this is it means we can now sort these uh, containers and send them across independently. But also, we can transfer them to any of the other 99 uh, ships on that side. So that 20,000 TEU uh, ship, instead of a couple weeks to turn over, we're now talking about 
four to six hours to turn over the whole ship because we're putting so many uh, cranes on each ship itself. So we're just talking about a massive uh, increase in uh, efficiency. Yeah, you're you're actually talking about the the the, the largest the largest cross docking facility in in, in history. Yeah. yeah, we're going for a transshipment facility that's the de facto hub of global trade uh, because we'll be able to um, uh, cross dock between a hundred ships on each side, mm-hmm. and when those containers are sent across. Uh, we're sending across independently. Uh, most people don't know that there's a rail next to the Panama Canal uh, to take containers across, but it yeah. can only handle about 500,000 containers per year. Per and that's year. roughly less than two days worth of ships crossing. Uh, yeah, I, I was if, saying that. If yeah. every ship was a container ship, which yes. is not the case. No. Um, so it's it, it's not very efficient. We couldn't use rail. We couldn't even use high speed rail because once you take that those twenty thousand containers and line them up, well, that's the entire track. Yeah. Uh, so we had to go with something that would be more efficient, and that's why we're going with maglev, so we can send them across independently versus in trains. So. And, okay. Can you explain this? So I, I know that maglev stands for um, uh, magnetic levitation. Yes, sir. So, so just in in layman's terms, can you explain uh, uh, to the audience how that works? Yeah, most people are familiar with the maglev, uh, magnetic levitation, uh, maglev for short, uh, in relation to the high speed trains of Japan and yeah, China. China. Um, those are the two countries with the most implementation, but the technology has been around for decades and is well proven. And, uh, recently we were introduced to a company, Max Bogel in Germany, that's testing, um, a system in the port of Hamburg. Uh, they have a 40 foot container floating on a maglev track. Um, so the technology uh, is there and is proven. And we decided to use it in this case to help us achieve those speeds. So it's the first time it's going to be used in this manner, uh, for, uh, transporting, uh, containers. Uh, but, uh, the technology is proven. Yeah, well, if you can, if you add, if you can transport humans at that speed, <laughs> yeah. then then for sure a container filled with like equipment can uh, can move at that speed as well. Absolutely, uh, the Pro- big probably difference. Probably the container could could maybe even move move faster than than a unit that holds people. Well, that's the thing. Um, people don't weigh as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, that's those true. containers um, basically. Uh, we're going for a top speed of about 200, 250 yeah. uh, miles That's per miles hour. That's miles per hour, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that we can um, move the containers across in under 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, that's our target. Under three, uh, excuse me, under six hours for turning over a ship and under 30 minutes for uh, getting the container across. Yeah. Uh, those are our targets. So, that speed would also allow us to basically these containers are so heavy that we have to control the uh build up to the speed as well as yes uh, uh 
um, the come down. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. Speed. You can't go Tesla yeah. ludicrous, ludicrous mode uh, with a with a no <laughs> with, a, with a container because all the stuff will be on one side and probably it will just fly out the door. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. That and it's just uh, yeah, um, just a massive uh, thing that we need to monitor. Yeah. But no, that I speed understand. would allow us to do that and. Um, uh, accommodate the braking and uh, collision management. Yeah. Um, um, so one of the benefits uh, I know of uh, these uh, uh, of moving things by maglev is that it is uh, that it is pretty energy efficient. Yeah, um, it's actually the most energy efficient, especially when you get up t- uh, above speeds above two hundred uh, miles per hour. Uh, the studies have shown that it's it's cheapest uh, but at those speeds mm-hmm. yeah um so so uh, how are you gonna how are you going to power this because you know i'm, I'm oh, guessing gosh. it's gonna it's it's gonna that, that it's it's gonna be a, you're gonna need a lot of power to to move all these uh we're gonna need a lot of juice yeah well we've decided to go back in time with the delorean and find that lightning bolt Uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh well i i i I kid but essentially the region is the poorest in colombia and doesn't have much infrastructure so everything we need we're gonna have to build yeah and so we're looking at all the uh green forms of energy production Mm -hmm. and we're looking at testing a few a uh, few exotic things. So we're going to have solar, we're going to have hy- hydroelectric, uh, we're going to have wind, we're going to test uh, some of the sailing systems that are out there. Um, and what, because, what do you mean with the, with the sailing system? Yeah, there are now uh, hydrogen-based uh, uh, systems uh that uh, hydrogen and saline-based uh, engines. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, NanoFlow. Uh, NanoCell Flow, I forget the exact name of it, but they have a saline-powered uh, engine uh, for a sports car and a plane. Ah, okay. Um, but will this will that system generate energy that can be put into the system? That's the thing. We're going to look at uh, various different forms. Uh, My only point here is we're going to look at everything that's out there and see what we can do, uh, see what will work. Uh, And because this is uh, the second largest water producing uh, region uh, and rainfall area in Colombia, we're also going to look at things like if we can siphon lightning uh the light average lightning bolt is about three to five miles long and our tunnel is going to be about 80 miles long yeah so we're going to see whether or not we can set up to do that in an efficient way uh so actually trans- catch catch lightning <laughs> bolts and, and just use the energy in those yes uh, and just as power Yes. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, and then you start looking on the storage and on the battery side. Yes. Uh, it's it's a massive project on every uh 
from every aspect, from every angle. But you um, are looking, I'm hearing, but I'm hearing you say uh, hydrogen, hydroelectric, wind, solar, uh, lightning. Yes. I, I, the lightning is my favorite, I think. That, is, that should be, <laughs> definitely be spectacular. But so these are, so uh, everything that you are using is going to be, uh, what do you call it? A green or like, or zero, zero emission. 100 percent yeah uh that is core to our company and our beliefs that um we want to create a sustainable model that people can uh use in other parts of the world uh, and show that we can do a project of this scale in a sustainable way um so every form will uh every form of energy that we use will be green and we think that we're going to be the first uh green corridor um and definitely the first uh green shipping uh corridor um but yes everything green wow that's uh yeah it's uh, really ambitious uh, and uh, and absolutely cool and you are going uh underground uh, and I guess because I and I I I need to look at like the Google Google Maps Earth view <laughs> to to really look at Northern Colombia, but but I I think there's like the that, that's um, that's not a highly populated area, so so there's so it's it's one hundred percent nature, I guess it's it's is it yeah. woods? Is it is it it's, uh, it's jungle? very What's dense it? jungle in most of what we're gonna yeah. have to go through. And um, we want to keep that intact, right? Absolutely. And that's why proposals for doing other uh, canals in that region, up the Atrato River, et cetera, uh, haven't moved forward because they would just be too destructive to the environment. Yeah. Uh, because our tunnel is going to be about 20 meters uh, below ground, uh, that deep, partly to accommodate for seismic activity. Yeah. But because we're going to be that deep, we're going to have minimal impact uh, on the surface. And that's the primary reason why we've gotten permission from Columbia uh, to move forward uh, with this project. They gave us uh, uh, permission to move forward with pre-feasibility and conditional approval to move forward with feasibility. So we're good to go there. And the reason is because... Uh, um, we're not, we're going to be very, uh, non-intrusive. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, uh, building a canal would add another, what you were saying, another 3%. So that's not, that's not really adding anything be because the percentage you are adding in terms of capacity is, is way higher. It should be. Um, and we believe that it will be, um, we have to walk the talk, talk the talk, and make it happen. But that's what the numbers suggest. Now, now you're talking about uh, pre-feasibility and and feasibility. Uh, these are uh, uh, these are phases that you are talking about. So, so what what does the the project uh, look like from from start to end? I mean, it starts with yeah, pre-feasibility. But so, can you explain what that what that entails? Yeah, uh, most projects you. Um, have your different phases of the project, pre-feasibility, feasibility, construction. Yeah. With some, you have a few others. Ours, we've broken them down into these three phases, not just to satisfy the uh, requirements uh, 
of the government agencies, but also to make the project manageable. This yeah. is such a massive project, simple idea, uh, obvious need, but because of the size of the project, it's very complicated. Yes. Um, so the three phases pre-feasibility is when we look at all the data, all the public data that we can gather and put it into a package uh, for the government of Colombia uh, that addresses all of the important aspects, including yeah. environmental, including uh, um, financing and funding the project. Uh, we have to uh, outline all of those things, but that's primarily data and brain work. Yes. Feasibility gets into the groundwork and the on the ground studies and preparing for construction and uh, sourcing and identifying all of our partners. That's the point when we would also put out an RFP to the large con uh, construction companies yeah. like your Dragados and your Bechtel and the large port operators like PSA, uh, DP World, uh, uh APM, yes. um, at that point, getting ready for construction. And construction is when we're, uh, let those TBMs go and start the whole process. But by that point, everything will be fully laid out. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. that's the how the three phases are organized. Financially, we're thinking it's going to be about Five million to get through the first phase. Yes. But because we already have permission to move forward with feasibility, uh, we're looking to pull in up to 75 million now so we can go ahead and jumpstart uh, feasibility and go ahead and put a deposit down on our tunnel boring machines from uh, Herrenecht in uh, southern Germany um, and do what we can to minimize the overall time to market, uh, which right now we're looking at eight years, about uh, uh, nine to 12 months for pre-feasibility, another 12 to 18 for feasibility, and another six years of construction. So we're uh, going to do what we can to start as, uh, as much as we can of feasibility now. Uh, yeah. And that includes all of our R&D on the tracks and on the cranes, et cetera. Pre-feasibility, we're looking at about 5 million. Uh, feasibility, we're looking at about 500 million. And for construction, we're looking at about 15 billion. Now, those numbers will revise during pre-feasibility. Um, but uh, we think those are fairly good numbers. When you were talking about how the land is not very developed because of that our acquisition cost and our overall cost per mile will be a little lower okay um so, uh, so how are you going to get uh the funding in so what have you what have you got lined up to uh to to uh to attract the 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 right investors uh, a couple of things uh first uh we've been taking in uh, friends and family, angel capital uh, so far to get us to where 
we are. But now we just uh, launch a Regulation A uh, public offering uh, to raise uh, up to $75 million. And mm-hmm. we believe that through that offering, we'll bring in the funds that we need for the, uh, this round. Uh, plus, we're also talking to some significant family offices and banks about coming in with some funds now. Uh, we've been offered a line of, uh, 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 we've been offered a loan from one bank in uh, Qatar, and we're speaking to a few uh, families about putting in like five million plus. So we know, like uh, this month, we'll be able to get the funds we need in for uh, pre-feasibility and to hopefully enough to start uh, to jumpstart uh, feasibility. Yeah, and I and I and I and I know that you. I mean, obviously, with 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 these uh, with a budget like that, you you need the large uh, you need large investors. Um, but um, I, uh, if I read it correctly, then the the minimum investment, if you uh, if you would like to say, okay, the, you know, the 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 <laughs> largest the largest infrastructural uh, uh, project, the 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 most. I mean, this is one of the most significant supply chain uh, projects out there um, I want to be a part of that I want to I want to be able to say uh, you know I, I help build it um, if if you have I think it's starting at five hundred dollars and, yeah, then, and then you can you can say you know that 80 mile tunnel that's my money that's the, that's in there <laughs> I was I, I enabled that yeah so the um U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has the distinction of having built the Panama uh, Canal. Uh, granted, the French started it, but uh, they finished it. In this case, we are going to build the tunnel. It will yes. be the tunnel. Like yeah. when you say is the there, canal, the biggest, it will be the, the tunnel. The tunnel, and, yeah, because yeah. what's the biggest tunnel now? Is, well, it's... Uh, I forget exactly. I should remember, but I think it's only about 25, 30 miles. Uh, so we will be by far uh, much larger. But uh, yes, our current Regulation A offering allows us to accept investments as low as $500. So if someone wanted to just put 500 a 1000 on this so they can uh, get their name on the wall and be a part of something that's going to um, uplift uh, the entire uh, industry um, and, uh, f- gosh, benefit everyone, and, yeah, and especially the climate because it's going to yeah. be it's going to it's going to do uh, it has a very positive effect on the on the uh, climate and getting your name on the wall. I mean, it's eighty miles of tunnel wall, <laughs> so you have quite some you have quite some wall to put names on. <laughs> yes, uh, very significant. When we're talking about these numbers and um, fifteen billion uh, to get this done and this opportunity to come in uh, on the equity side, the thing is, when Columbia gave us permission to move forward with pre-feasibility and conditional approval for feasibility. What they also said is that uh, after pre-feasibility, we can apply to be in the national budget. Now, doing that will allow us to sell uh, government-backed bonds, even mm-hmm. if they're just backing $500 million or whatever the case is. But that means that this may be the only equity round we have. 
Yeah. The next round is a debt round where all of the banks and billionaires and infrastructure investors that follow us will come in with 500, 100 million, uh, your teachers, your California water and power. That's when those guys will come in after yeah. pre-feasibility when there's government backing uh, behind the project. Mm -hmm. But right now, uh, small investors have an opportunity to come in through our offering um, and, and be a part of uh, just jumpstarting, I like to say jumpstarting the transportation infrastructure revolution. Mm. Um, because everyone now understands that uh, to really solve the supply chain issues, uh, you need to fix the infrastructure. Um, so you see a lot of money going towards upgrading infrastructure uh, yeah. right now. Um, there's a lot of money going into the logistics uh, software, but the software can't fix the supply chain problems until we fix the infrastructure. You'll see that we're also in the EU tech chamber. And that's because after the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez, they reached out to us and asked us to join the tech chamber. It cut yeah. one of the five primary routes to Europe and affected 15% of trade. But now you see that everyone in that region is now pouring a lot of money into infrastructure to try and upgrade it there. So a problem like that doesn't have the same effect uh, as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Everyone now globally understands the need to upgrade our infrastructure. And uh, we think that we're going to be at the forefront of it. And anyone that wants to participate in that should jump on board. Uh, Byron, um, thank you very much for coming on the show and, um, uh, you know, talking about this uh, project, which is... Um, yeah, just for me, I'm I, I'm a warehousing guy, and what I love in these warehouses is all uh, I love the 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 automated warehouses with all these robots moving, and what you are saying, uh, these huge ships sailing in, containers being automatically automatically taken off these ships and whisked away on on these sleds or skids through through the tunnel. It's just uh, oh man, I can't wait to see it in operation. So, and Me it's only eight, only eight years away. So it's, it's going to take some patience, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it sounds amazing. And uh, the, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to seeing it happen. Thank you. Uh, our, if you go to our website, uh, zergatran.com, you will uh, see a CGI rendering of what the process is going to look like on a, top level. But yeah, I can't wait either. This is going to be uh, the most the most significant upgrade to our global system. Um, I got kind of since the uh, invention of the container itself. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. Thank you, Byron. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, love the show. Appreciate it. And I uh, love the fact that you're so knowledgeable about the space. Thank you for listening to Does Logistics Matter? For more on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics, visit the blog on logisticsmatter.com. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please send an email to podcast at logisticsmatter.com or connect to me via LinkedIn and send me a message. 
This podcast was produced by Dimitri Vleugel. The music is based on a sample by Ruggerman and produced by Michael Spengler. This episode was supported by Zergretran. Zergretran is an innovative and sustainable high-capacity transportation company that is building the world's first tunnel to expedite the shipping of goods between the North Atlantic and the North Pacific. In doing so, it will offer faster, smarter, safer and cheaper solutions to existing alternatives. For more information, visit zergotran.com. That's Z-E-R-G-R-A-T-R-A-N.com.